Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of FAM, Friends in Magic, a Magic the Gathering podcast brought to you by Swagoy Gaming. My name is Bill Grennan. Everyone calls me Brasky, and today I am joined, as always, by the mighty Linguini, Caroline Cavanaugh, Conan Hawk, Eric Hawkins, and Mr. Toolshed, Sean Gallagher. What's up, FAM? What's up? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Just saying a little howdy-do to everybody as we start this podcast, as people continue to mess with the script that I've made. You know, I... I should know better. This is my own fault because I have a shared Google document that has our notes on it, and I forget that all of us can edit it in real time. So if people maybe try to mess with my script as I try to say it, this could ruin the entirety of the podcast because I'm not going back. If I mess this up at the beginning, we're not starting over. We're just going to continue on, and the whole podcast is going to be worse because of it. Ne I next added time a you to everyone's last name. <laughs> so I really – you almost said my last name with a U. I feel like you were going to lean into it. I think he did say it with a U, but it was just silent. <laughs> I, I didn't I think... know where to put a U in Hawkins. <laughs> I think next time we're just going to we're going to open it up and and people are going to be starting to type into Bill Bill's or Bill script and it's just, all of a sudden you're just going to hear this. All right. <laughs> just like they're reading it from a piece of paper. Yes, but somehow on the piece of paper there has an edit in there. He's like, God damn it! How the hell did... <laughs> I printed this three days ago. Dude, no, no, okay, okay. Bill Brasky just moved into a new apartment, and so he's probably going to maybe think about painting it. And so when he paints it, he's going to paint on the wall. My name is Bill Grennan. Everybody calls me Brasky. <laughs> And that, yeah, because that in no way, if I ever have house guests over, they'll see that wall and be like, well, he's a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, wall is just big enough for, my name is Bill Grennan. That's all it is. That's all it fits on the wall. Yeah, no, that's I, all it I says. was picturing murder font. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like everyone else is like, well, it's a nice, you know, what, what kind of walls have nice, cool, calming colors? And all of us in our head are just like, oh, are we writing letters on it? Blood red. Yeah. It. Um, it's the well, paint from the murder well, room that Brandon has. <laughs> As red as the sweatshirts that Caroline and I are wedding the, uh, that have the Swagoy logo on it. And they're beautiful. And they are fantastic. There's my flex on y'all for that little spot for messing with my script. But even though you mess with my script, I still love every single one of you. And I appreciate the wonderful jobs that you do. And I appreciate the wonderful magic that you play. And so as we start another wonderful episode of this podcast, episode number 43, which is, how about that? We're getting close to, we're you know, less than 10 episodes to episode 52, which means we've been doing this for... Well, better part of a year now, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah that's really? Cool. Yeah, we're almost uh, we're almost Are getting we sure? to my age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we're, yeah, we're almost we're al yeah we're as, we're almost as many episodes as we are to Eric's age, which I'm assuming is uh, sixty four minus ten plus eight. Yeah, know. right around there. Okay, cool. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Sixty two. <laughs> okay, okay, ready? I know, I know, magic. Are you ready, Grasky? Yes. Okay, think of a number between one and ten. Got it. Seven. What you think? Think of it. Say you it out loud. It. Oh, okay. great! Now I got to think of a new number. Hold on. <laughs> it was seven. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now add six to it. Okay. Okay. Then add four to it. Okay. Okay. Now subtract your original number. Okay. Okay. Are you thinking of the number ten now? No. Oh wow! My god you're welcome you're all welcome i hope you played along at home what if you're like bad at math though 
I'm going to edit into the top of this podcast just some more sections of me like verbally out loud thinking. So you're going to be like, hey, think of a number. And then I'm going to edit into, oh, God, a number. What am I going to do? Okay. And you're like, add six. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay. Got it. <laughs> just taking my time. Count. And that's, that's, I, I do that kind of math much in the way I try to count uh, any type of lethal damage or uh, how many tokens I have or. I don't do it when I when I attack because math is for blockers, but maybe that's why my win rate isn't as high as it probably should be. I think I think the the saying is math is for blockers and Cranko mob boss. That's true. That's, that's probably about it. That's an is accurate. Cranko, is Cranko like a math magician? <laughs> maybe. Uh, what is this? But no, no matter how bad at math that I am, or what type of uh, decks I'm playing, whether or not they have God Pharaoh's gift or not. Uh, I do know that we've had a lot of stuff happening in the world of Magic, and so I want to know how everyone's week in Magic has been. Conan Hawk, let's start with you. Yeah, uh, this week was crazy. Basically, I had to submit my Mythic Invitational deck list on Sunday night. but Well, technically for me, it was Monday morning by 2 a.m., um, and so I was just scrambling everywhere, uh, trying out all the different archetypes, listening to anybody that had a thought about the the historic format like i think this deck is good play it for a few times and like find out it's either actually good or terrible and then just kind of moving on or like trying to like like setting off to side okay this one's good i'll come back to it type of thing it kind of just went like in a huge circle and kind of came back to i thought goblins was good at the beginning and kind of just came back to i think goblins is good at the end and um came up with like a what i think is a really nice aggressive deck or like a really nice aggressive version of goblins which i think will pay off because i i think in game one uh it's really good to be i guess the the combo style uh as fast as possible combo as you can be so yeah and i'm yeah, sure I'm, we'll, I'm sure we'll probably touch on a little bit about that deck a little bit later on but do you think just real quick <clears throat> do you think that uh you mentioned the word payoff is that is that the key to the decks that you want to play in historic is the ones that have those that ones that have those exact payoffs, as opposed to something where it's just preventing other decks from doing something or having a value engine or something like that. There's just one big boom payoff, and you win. I, I think that's like a really big um, selling point for a lot of the decks in historic. Uh, just doing something very powerful. Uh, Caroline's deck, the Godfrey's Gift deck, is like a good like aggressive deck. Does like some cool synergy stuff. Uh, has like a lot of stuff. Same with it. The Godwin's deck does all that stuff. But what these decks have in common is if things go wrong or if you can just like if you're like not doing the the small creature thing as well as you'd like to, you can just play this huge powerful card. In Caroline's case it'd be Godfrey's Gift, in my case it'd be Muxus. And um, you know, just like as like kind of like a fallback or just like a way to push the game over uh and and end it right away. Nice. That's important to know. I see how's it going from that spot as well. Sean, do you find that uh it you're in that kind of payoff realm. How has how has your weekend magic been in terms of what you played and how you like playing it? Yeah, my week has been pretty good, Brasky. Thanks for asking. I uh, played in the SCG along with some of our other teammates, and I <clears throat> had a four three in quotation marks um, round seven. Played against a teammate of mine, and they had more points on the leaderboard, so we decided that uh, I would concede, give him more points in the SCG. Hopefully, Nick makes it. Um, I played Mono Green Aggro. Um, nothing too special, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill. Lawnmower Elf, play a three-drop on turn two and, like, Primal Might a creature along the way and kill your opponent. Um, so nothing too special, but 
power of the deck comes from Steel Leaf Champion and Questing Beast making it so your opponent just never gets the block. Uh, Carol, both Carolina playing Godfrey's Gift and Eric playing Goblins, they have quite a few creatures that have two or less power in them. So uh, Steel Leaf Champion and Questing Beast often connect for five or ten before they can assemble a three-power creature. So that's where a lot of my power comes from the deck. I think it's very good. And this weekend, I'm pretty, we'll be talking about it a little later, but um, this weekend, I will probably be playing it as well. I love that you kind of talk about it like it's a, like you're some sort of super villain and we have to figure out a way to beat your deck. Well, his power comes from the Steel Leaf Champion. Let's <laughs> yeah. figure out a way to neutralize the Steel Leaf Champion. And then, no one, then no his one true power will be taken champion. away. Yeah. When you assemble all three green mana symbols, you get some powerful magic cards. Nice. Both Yorval and, 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 and Well, I was going to say, sometimes you get Yorval. <laughs> <laughs> well, you it, roll a dice, and sometimes you get Steely Champion, and sometimes you get Yorval. Hey, all right. He's like, that's the little cousin who like wants to play basketball with you. He wants you're to 16, play so badly. You're on the high school team, so like, and he's nine, so like, you don't really want to play with them. But I have all these dice. Look at how much dice I have. <laughs> yeah, I will say that your vote looks hilarious when your opponent has to heartless act it to put it to one counter. So, See, but that that is pretty nice. But then also, like, your mom or dad are in the back that's being like, "Hey, make sure you play with your vault." It's like, no, I don't want to play with you. Hey, no, he's here. You have to play with your vault. <laughs> Fine. He doesn't have any friends at school. You need to you play. You need with to him. play with your vault. All right, come on. Speaking Four of your vault, Sean, how was that? How was that, Coco, the other day with? Uh, they, they all gathered together. <laughs> I kid you not. On two different occasions, I have three copies of Yorvo, and I'm literally streaming to our Discord, and one of my Cocos hits three Yorvos somehow. Don't know why. And then I cast another Coco and hit two Ronas, which are. There's only two legendary creatures in the deck, and they both showed up on two different occasions. It's fairly Would you strange. like that, or the Coco where you whiffed? <laughs> I started keeping track of whiffed Cocos, and it's not very fun with that I number. I know, I saw your update. I found, I've, and I, I, I had a hearty chuckle to myself uh, over the weekend as I was watching the SCG and watching the coverage of it, because at some point, somebody played a Coco that basically whiffed, and Cedric... While doing coverage, said, "Oh wow, the Coco completely whiffed." I gotta say, that's that's extremely rare. I it's been I think years since I've seen a Coco whiff, and I was like, "Well, you need to hang out with Sean more often." Did <laughs> <laughs> you see me? I did. I gotta watch some of the coverage, and I watched you on on the spot, and it, it's. I don't know why it's like it's like a proud parent thing when like I see a teammate's like deck list posted to a website or someone talking about oh and here's Caroline Cavanaugh who's on Mono Black Godfrey's gift who well she's known for that right now and I'm just like of course you are good job are you are you just like in your living room I know her yeah it's, <laughs> I know and I'm like I'm talking to, to no one in particular yep I'm Bill Braskin. Yep. And then I write that oh, on my wall. Yep. Yep. And I just mark it off that way. And speaking of seeing you on coverage, why don't we learn about what your Week in Magic was like? Yeah. So uh, my Week in Magic, honestly, my, you know, this was a long weekend. I had qualified for this uh, Monday SCG, also known as like the Saturday thing that wasn't allowed to be on Saturday for no reason that no one could figure out. Um, and so they put it on a Monday instead. <laughs> um, so I had planned to not actually play a lot of Magic this weekend. I am heading, I've been in Denver for the last couple of months, but I am heading home. And so I was like, yeah, we should do other things and hang out with, you know, my people here, whatever. Not even friends, just the people here. <laughs> uh, but of course, like, I don't know. I, I lasted a whole day. I did not play any tournaments. That's not true. 
I did play a tournament on Saturday, but I went like one and one or something. But I didn't play any long tournaments on Saturday. And then on Sunday, I lasted to like two o'clock. I was doing great. And then I was like, oh wait, the standard challenge? It starts in an hour? Be right back. <laughs> so um, I do, I have a new tournament, new thing starting this week called the VML, uh, Venus Mercury League. It's our third season and it's a quite a long endeavor it's eight weeks long you play round robin against uh everyone in your pod uh and then you go from there into playoffs so it's standard um and it starts this week so i actually had to unfortunately leave the historic train for a little bit though i i know where i parked it so i'll be able to find it in a second you but your train <laughs> yeah what do you do with your train <laughs> i guess i've never parked a train i don't know is it just always running that seems so bad i know your train maintenance is really not up to snuff. The Sean Bucks expenses are outrageous. <laughs> it's true. My train budget's really high. Don't worry. Um, and I, uh, yeah, so I ventured into Standard. And, and basically to me, Standard was Sultai or nothing. And I knew my opponent would be on Sultai for the VML. And I really, I was like really struggling. I'm so far behind in the mirrors. And I was like, I don't really want to. And so I was like, okay, maybe Mono Black. Or sorry, Mono Green still likes me. Like, maybe. So I decided to play Mono Green in the Moto Challenge. Um, there are these weekend events. They host them every weekend at the same time. They have good prizes. Their, their deck list gets posted, so you can get a little <laughs> brass. You can go and see some teammates' names. Um, and they're just, they're just good value. They're a good way to test out, you know, what it tournament-wise what a deck feels like. And um, I really like playing them. They, they run pretty fast. So... I ended up playing the standard one, and I did top eight it with mono green. So I was like, "Well, obviously I'm registering mono green," even though the small voice in my head was like, "Yeah, but Caroline, you didn't play against Sultai." I was like, "Yeah, but that's okay." <laughs> so I did register mono green for the VML, and my opponent did register Sultai. Um, so I'll let everybody know how that decision goes later. Um, and then on Monday, I played the SCT. Uh, back to historics. So I went and got my train parked i don't know where you leave your train shop this is embarrassing but anyway um and you know i was back on my on my bullshit i did play mono black i i got an updated list from a friend so i was pretty happy the, the direction of the deck it changed a lot in a weekend or sorry in a week span um the, the, the list i had now had four chupacabra so you know it's going well it's pretty cool and four worm massacre worms so Things were looking up. I had a good time. I ended up finishing in the top 32. Luckily, I actually went four and three, but my breakers were good enough where it mattered. I will say, if you do actually want to watch coverage, my round one feature was actually insane. Like, I have a pretty bad habit of when I know I'm losing a match of just telling people I lost before the match result like resolves. So, I, like, like on Messenger, like, oh, I'm lost. <laughs> but I, I meant to like, I was typing that to a friend. He's like, oh yeah, I, I lost this round. That, that sucks. And then I just didn't lose. Like, somehow I just kept staying at three life and not losing. And then I won that. This is a game two. So then I won that game and then I won game three. And so the, the match was actually extremely fun to watch uh, on coverage. I went back and watched it, which I never do. <laughs> um, and then, and I had a couple other uh, backup features too, that, that tournament. So that was cool. Nice. Uh, I, the wheels fell off at the end, but it, it was still. That's okay. Well, it, your wheels can fall off if you're riding a train because then you just ride the rails. <laughs> That's why you have to park it and give it a rest. Exactly, exactly. And of course, Caroline's talking about the uh, Venus and Mercury League, that if anyone wants to uh, find more info about it, they can go to aspirant.gg slash VML. They can find out about that uh, awesome eight-week-long league-style tournament for 
Uh, it's inside of MTG Arena. It's open to people of marginalized genders. It's a really, really awesome event that folks should check out. And a lot of our Swigoy teammates are a part of it, as well as a lot of awesome Magic players uh, from all around. They're going to be participating in that. So I highly recommend checking that thing out as well. And when we're not checking that out, we can check out what's happening around the world of Magic as we get ready for Zendikar Rising to release like a Kraken from the depths of NDAs to give us an opportunity to play it. And so we have a few few piece, pieces and bits of info that we've gotten of Zendikar Rising, but while we wait for that, there's plenty of other tournaments and competitive things to do until then. And so I want to throw it over to Sean Gallagher to give us the rundown of what's happening in the world of MTG. That's me. Um, so this weekend, big weekend for Swagoy and Magic in general, we have... The Mythic Invitational, which starts on, I believe, Thursday, September 10th. Uh, the one and only Eric Conanhawk Hawkins is competing. I don't know how many people are competitive competing in the tournament, but it is very exclusive. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Very exclusive to play this tournament. So Eric uh, will be winning that tournament starting Thursday, and um, hopefully we'll be seeing him on what I'm guessing Sunday, where the finals are probably taking. Um, for people who are not playing in the Mythic Invitational, the Zendikar Rising Qualifier Weekend is this weekend. The last three months, getting top 1,200. In Caroline's case, winning, like, 3-1-ing or 4-0-ing. Oh, the Gen Con event? Yeah, uh, winning a Gen Con event, 12-1200. Uh, a couple other various ways to qualify for this Qualifier Weekend. I want to say the majority of us are competing. There's only a couple of us that actually will not be competing. So, historic There's this weekend. There's 11 of us. Yeah, that's a lot. Which Just is a few. Su yeah, super awesome, which is a huge increase from where we were, you know, nine months, a year ago, uh, where only a couple of us were competing in this tournament. And now that, you know, things are going a little bit differently, it's awesome to see 11 of us will be playing on Saturday. Um, that tournament is historic, happens on Saturday, September 12th. Come hang out. Uh, it is kind of more like ladder if you... Close deck lists, uh, seven wins gets you to day two, and then seven and two, or you need to go better than seven and two on Sunday um, to qualify. So that happens this weekend. Come hang out. Give us a couple tweets. I'm sure we'll be updating everyone's statuses over the weekend. Brandon will be playing, so who knows who will be doing that, but someone will be. And then uh, Zenikar, what is it? Zenikar Rising, is that the name of the set? Correct. Zenikar Rising. Uh, the set is mostly spoiled. I want to say there's just a handful of cards left. Um, all the big cards, I'm sure, have been spoiled by now, but that set should be spoiled pretty soon. And then I want to say on Wednesday, September 16th, is when the set officially releases on Arena, I believe. Um, so that'll be exciting to get our hands on that and then play some sweet, sweet pathways, kicker cards, and... Eric's new favorite 2-2 trample haste that puts a land into your hand. So what's not to love about Zendikar Rising? Hope you give that card double strike. Yeah. I'm very excited at how many good rogues there are. I can't wait to be like... <gasps> rogue you know, Watch is back on, and I am That's hyped. what I'm saying. Like, they just print, did you see the new blue rogue that they printed? No. Okay, so when a, when a party member enters play, it gets unblockable, and then all of your creatures, when they hit someone, you draw a card. Party member. <laughs> I like yeah, it. No, I thought oh. you don't like flash decks. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> That's the rogue mechanic. Yeah. Oh, well, no, I'm on Rogue Watch because of Robber the Rich. Oh. oh I, I want to build a rogue deck that uses only rogues and robber. 
I just um, I, I want to develop a, a plugin that anytime I play a party member, it plays the epic sax guy. So it's just <laughs> anytime a party member comes in, it's just bam, bam da, 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 da. It's like yeah, party members here. The party started, and then the party keeps going. So, side note: there's a famous there's a clip of Jack Black. He you, have you ever seen like one of those toy saxophones? Yes. <laughs> there's a video of him playing that song on the toy saxophone on uh like a night show one time and he just goes crazy it kills me every time i see it i love it <laughs> i love that love everything about yeah. it i'm looking forward to seeing uh to seeing the rest of the set spoiled i'm looking forward to digging into some new cards and i'm sure you know i'm sure we'll have we'll kind of look at what we what we do to record next week we want to talk just about some of the cards we think are going to be awesome or if we want to maybe Maybe we look at seeing what's happening after the set releases. We'll kind of look at what we want to do when it comes to Zendikar Rising. But regardless, I'm pretty hype. I know everybody else is pretty hype. It's going to be a fun oh. time. Also, one more thing. Rotation. That's like coming up. So we definitely have been waiting for rotation. So yes. <laughs> that's, the, that's the other big one. It's true. It's true. Where we can sit there and look at Historic and be like, well, everything has remained the same. Yeah. So we could go back to our opponents casting Lucky Clover on turn two. Perfect. <laughs> it's it's funny you say that, Bresky. We were in the meeting tonight, and uh, we were talking about the Godfaro gift deck and how the new Mythic Blackland is going to be pretty sweet in it. And I, and then we were talking about the there's a new two drop, and then I almost said the sentence, "Well, yeah, like Priest is rotating, so we'll need a new two drop." And then I was like, "Wait." It's not. <laughs> yeah. And then I got really happy. <laughs> I will say the cool thing about that is is this is finally, from a magic standpoint, the first time I've really sensed like the benefit of eternal formats in that way. Of of that kind of thing of just being like, oh, okay, standard's gonna rotate. Man, am I gonna be able to play a lot of decks? Like I got the pre order going, but even then, like wild cards and that kind of stuff. And at the same time, like Zendikar Rising's gonna come out. I'm gonna go, well, at least I still have a bunch of really good stuff in historic. And I'm like, oh, this this is why people like eternal formats. Because from a new player perspective, or at least someone who's only played it for a couple years, for me it's like, oh, eternal formats are there's no way to get in there. Modern, I don't, I can't I have to sell a kidney for that kind of thing. And then I realize, oh, the longer you play. I'm liking these, you know, these more eternal formats that are more recent that come up. It's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I see that the longer I invest into the game, the more formats I can play, the more I can enjoy. Wait till you've been playing Magic for, you know, more than a few years, and it gets to the point where it's like, I hate Standard because every time rotation happens, I need to spend multiple hundreds of dollars on Euros. You know, and I literally just bought Euros online the other day, and it was just like, oh. First of all, it might have been a mistake because who knows if we're playing Paper Magic in the next two years, but... Uh, it, it's it was a, just like we'll call it an investment strategy. <laughs> yeah, luckily, if er, if we don't play it in standard, I will be able to play it in modern. So yeah. we actually were talking to one of our teammates the other day, and we were like, we were explaining to them that standard was actually the most expensive yeah. format that there is, and they were like, nah, -uh, a deck costs like you know four hundred dollars or whatever, and like a, a modern deck costs like a thousand dollars, and I'm like. But I don't add any new cards to my modern deck. <laughs> when like a new set comes out, I spend like twenty dollars maybe, you know. Yeah. And it's like it's like. But if you want to play or like my like my like I play like or Legacy Ant or Ad Nauseum Tendrils, right? That deck hasn't got a new card in like four years. that was two dollars. So you know, but standard, it's like you pay four hundred dollars like every year or so. So you got to you know keep up yeah yeah it also makes it even more enjoyable or at least interesting to me when i see a relatively cheap card just break some of those older formats it's like oh yeah oh what'd you pull narset oh narset's great that's worth about three dollars by the way totally broken in legacy you're like wait what 
Yeah. When Fatal Push got printed, I you couldn't find it in Minnesota, by the way, because they were just selling out everywhere. But it was only like eight dollars at the time or something like that. But it's an uncommon. So like that's like a million dollars for <laughs> for another magic card. But yeah, just like having that crazy uncommon printed every once in a while is just busted. Speaking of which, of uh, of eternal formats, the the my my side tangent for the day because I don't normally have side tangents is I had my first uh, opportunity to ask a judge about a rule because I was testing a commander deck out and I was reading through one of the cards that I got and all I wanted out of the effect was to have no maximum hand size because it's a cycling deck and I'm drawing multiple cards all the time and all that kind of stuff and I read one of the cards that I got that I wanted to add to it that was confusing as all heck but it didn't make sense to me and it's the library of Lang it is a one mana artifact from fourth edition skip the discard phase of your turn if a spell or effect forces you to discard you may discard to the top of your library rather than to your graveyard if a discard is random you may look at the card before choosing where to discard it which <laughs> which basically means you have no maximum hand size if you discard a card you can put it on top of your library that's what it actually means but i thought because i have a cycling deck i'm like oh well this is great I can cycle a card. Since I discard it, I put it on top of my deck. I draw a card. I cycle again. I can just eternally cycle, and I have a card that just generates tokens every time I cycle. So I can just infinite tokens this thing. I'm like, this is so broken. This is amazing. And then I looked up and tried to see, like, is this how it actually works, and had to go to, like, the judge's spot, and I found a ruling that's like, no, no, because it's only an effect that you discard. And cycling is a cost and not an effect. Uh. And so here's me just for a brief moment by myself as I'm writing stuff on my walls going cycling is broken and putting that in red paint, I realized, no, nope, I just misunderstood what the cards said. And that was my that was my taste of not knowing what card's doing. Even when you read the freaking card, you still might not know how that card actually works. But there will be plenty of other cards to discuss and talk about uh, in the future, whether it's Zendikar Rising or otherwise. But we do know, as we spoke, you know, Standard is going to rotate. We'll have plenty to talk about with Standard. But we realized from our discussion last week of Historic that there still was so much left on the table to discuss. You know, we really we really went in-depth with, uh, with Mono Black God Pharaoh's Gift in a lot of ways, and Caroline gave really good insight into that deck and i think it's one of the things that if you if you didn't listen to last week's podcast and you are interested in learning about the mono black god pharaoh's gift deck i highly recommend taking a listen to it but you know we touched on a lot of the other decks but i still think that there's a lot out there for us to discuss and talk about there's a lot of other decks and archetypes and as we've seen with a lot of with things that happened at scg we've seen how the metagame is kind of shaping out in a lot of different ways so i think we wanted to take a little bit more time to discuss some of the other ins and outs of the historic format. And one of the things I think we'll, we'll probably start off with, and I think we'll bounce to the person who uh, finished second in the Mythic Society event from a couple weeks ago, and that is Conan Hawk, Eric Hawkins. And we want to talk a little bit more about, uh, about the specific deck list we want to go into, about the types of decks you want to play, and what works, depending on the format. Because a lot of the things that we do is open deck lists, and a lot of things we do is closed deck lists. And so how does that change how you pick your decks? How does that change how you sideboard? There's a lot that goes into that as well. Kornok, let's. I want to start with you real quick and talk a little bit about... Well, I have an issue. Okay. You didn't read the topic word for word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like you to start again, Brasky, but don't cut this out. And today's topic for the podcast, Historic 2, Electric Boogaloo. Open deck Thank list you. versus closed deck list. Well, that part wasn't important. It was really the electric <laughs> part. Take, take three. Main topic of the podcast, Historic 2, Electric Boogaloo. Blink, blink twice if you're doing this against yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what does three blinks mean? 
Yeah, just just you wait. Just you wait. But yes, no, we're going to talk about our second rendition of talking about historic, but specifically the idea of how you formulate the decks in your sideboards in an open de deck list versus closed deck list format, which is what the, the Mythic Invitational is going to be. And so, Karnak, as since you are playing in the Mythic Invitational, and you uh, you kind of have thought about, you know, you've been a big Goblins player in this historic format. Is that what you're going to play in this MI, in this Mythic Invitational? And how has how you built the deck or your approach to the deck changed, knowing that you're going into closed deck lists? Open deck lists. Open, open deck, deck lists. Sorry. Mythic Invitational is open. Zendikar Rising we're Qualifier. Playing. That's where I was confused. It's closed. Yep. Yeah. I'll fix Can't that. I'll fix here. that later. <laughs> That's fine. The big thing, like, for me was, like, for the Mythic Invitational, I think it was... The open deck lists do have a little bit of influence on like the cards that you're going to play, but for me it was like finding the deck that I, I both enjoyed but also think was very, very good. And I, I think that that ultimately got me back to Goblins, so you asked me what I was playing. I am going to play Mono Red Goblins. Um, and then also, one of the things that I think is going to be big is that I don't have, I guess like the the... I don't know, like, like kind of like the ley line of the voids in my sideboard. My sideboard is uh, very, very much just picking removal and, for spots. And like, um, so I have like Chain Whirler, I have like a Braid, I have Magma Spray, I have Incinerator, and then just like matching them with my opponent's threats um, or like whatever is the most important. And I think that's, that's going to be really big and basically just like not changing too much. Uh, it will mean that there's like certain times that I'll be at a little bit of a disadvantage. Like Leyland of the Void is like, for instance, is like very good against like the Rakdos Luris deck and stuff like that. But I don't think that really came up too much in the open versus closed thing. If it was if it was something like closed, I think it would actually give me a huge advantage because most of the most of the the goblins decks in closed deck list, you would have to assume that they're boarding in for Leyland of the Voids. Because that's in a lot of the goblins decks, um, or maybe like four Leyland of Combustions if you're on like the the Mayhem Devil decks, um, which means that if you do have enchantment removal, you'll be boarding those in, or like if you have uh, in Caroline's uh, spot, like they have Stitcher Supplier uh, in like the Godfaro's Gift deck. If I have four Leyland Voids, you don't really want that card too much because you like it's like kind of weak against that. But like. The big thing here is that, like, they will be able to see that, right? Um, so I just, like, wanted to stay, I, I guess, like, without, like, like I guess the saying is, like, keep it simple, stupid. Um, so just, you know, when I when I need removal, I'll just, I'll have that removal available. And that's, like, all I really wanted to do was just stay as focused as possible. Goblins is incredibly powerful. So don't try to overcomplicate things and just and just play straight up, essentially. You know, when you say don't overcomplicate this stuff, you know, when it, a lot of times when I see when you're when you're building deck lists or we're going down to what we're going to submit for event, you know, the 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 <clears throat> major core of the deck is there. Like we we know what we're going to play on that one, but it often comes down to what you know what people call like this is the this is the the sixtieth card in the deck or in the sideboard. This is my you know fourteenth fifteenth card in the sideboard. What are those cards in the mono red goblins deck for you? I think it's it, it is really it, this one does come up a little bit with like my my thinking on how I built my sideboard. I think like if I expected as as much goblins as I did, and like I obviously I did because I you know did that, but that would be like the extra chain rollers. Uh, I really like the chain rollers like in the mirror. I like in, uh, incinerator uh, in the mirror because you know it just kills anything. But like the the weird thing is is like we kind of get back into the close and open deck list thing, right? I think that completely changes when it's closed deck list because 
then you can play like something like a bunch of the ley lines. You can play all these things because people don't really know what's going on. And there are cards that get, like I was saying, like with like Leyline of the Void, that get so much better when your opponent doesn't know they're coming in. Because if you board in like four ley lines and your opponent doesn't have Reclamation Sage, we'll say, in their in their like graveyard-based deck, that's going to be stellar, right? But with the open deck list, I think it's like a little bit problematic because like now they know, okay, there's this four Leyline of the Voids that are coming in. And I have to make sure that I have a game plan against those. And they will actually be prepared a lot of the times. And I and like for my my thinking, it's like I don't think that there's like a deck that's just cold to that card. If there was a deck, like if there was like a popular deck that was just absolutely like you put Leyline in the void and play, they have to just concede the match. Like, you know, if it was like, you know, dredge in, you know, in older formats, um, for those that don't know dredge, it basically it's a mechanic where like instead of drawing a card, you mill the top of your library for as many cards as it says dredge. Like if they don't have an answer to your Leyline of the Void, they literally can't play Magic. That's just, their whole deck is just throwing things into their graveyard. So, like, it, and I don't think there's, like, a deck like that in, in Historic. I, I think that there's decks that are hindered by Leyline, but not, not like, just totally cold to it. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the whole, like, if Leyline resolves, they have to concede thing. If there was a scale of this card doesn't matter and this card is lights out, Red Black Lurus is, like, towing that line to this card light is lights out for you where like they're playing Freak's libation in their sideboard yeah. to kill Leyline of the void and rest in peace just because the card is so bad for you you know like sure they have a game like a pseudo game plan of young pyromancer beats but that's not a real game that's awful that doesn't work <laughs> just like what you said dredge if they cannot kill Leyline of the void prized amalgam beats are not good yeah. So I, I do like that aspect of if you have Leyline, if you know your opponent has Leyline, you have to have a plan against it. I, I do like the idea of you having open deck lists, having Leyline in your sideboard, and then possibly not boarding them in or having like two Leylines or something like that. I always like that kind of like mind game you can play with your opponent too. Because like you can make them miss board. Because like if they board in Reclamation Sage and you just don't have Leyline in your deck, but you had it in your sideboard. That's always like really cool mind games. I think you get in open deck lists as well. That's an even. That's kind of a. That's a third brain kind of thing. It's like I'm putting <laughs> these in my sideboard to never play them, but to only so that my opponents know that I could play them if I want. Yeah. <laughs> Just the. Th that's the thing. It's like the threat of leyline being in my deck makes my opponent's plan have to change. It's like dredge. When you're playing dredge in modern, you always brought in uh, a nature's claim, an assassin's trophy. You just had to. Because every deck had a Rest in Peace, a Graft Digger's Cage, a Tormod script, you know, just random stuff like that, just for the threat of it being there. And the red-black deck is very close to having to do that, I think. So that's just a weird mind game you get to play with your opponent, I think, in Historic right now, just because we're getting, we're kind of getting back to modern, where some of these sideboard cards are just so potent. Like, Leyline of the Void is a legacy playable sideboard card, just because it's such a powerful effect. Where I personally, I don't like having super powerful effects like that in Historic, but I mean, it is just a messed up magic card at some point. One of the things I did want to point out is like what Sean was saying is that like with Dredge, right? Like he was just talking about every deck had a Graft Digger's Cage, a Tormod's Crypt, a Leyline, a Rest in Peace, etc. In Modern, it got to a point where like sometimes like a card like Ravenous Trap, which was like an instant that that exiled your opponent's graveyard but if they put they could cost four mana but if you if you put certain amount of cards in the graveyard um it was free right it, it was a trap right 
Um, but like, if you don't know that that's happening, if they're like in closed deckless, you don't know if your opponent's like boarding a rest in peace. So it's like Sean said, you had to board in Nature's Claim, you had to board in Assassin's Trophy, right? All of these cards. But it's like, if I boarded in all these Assassin's Trophies and Nature's Claim, but your hate card was Ravenous Trap, like now I'm just drawing these Assassin's Trophies and like in my opening hand, I'm like, I have a pretty decent hand. Uh, I have like an enabler, I have a dredger, and I have an assassin's trophy. So when they put the ley line in, I have an answer. And then they just like, you're like, oh, great, no ley line, I'm good. And then you like <laughs> play the enabler, dredge, and then they're like, exile your graveyard with this instant. You're like, oh no, I, but I have a, I have a nature's claim. <laughs> you know, like, but like, now you won't get caught by that because it is open deck list. Right? Yeah. So you, you'll know, you'll know that, you, okay, I don't need to board in these nature's claims. So like, effects like a ravenous trap might actually get worse so that, that's kind of interesting too yeah it's uh it's a nice little dance you get to dance with your opponent every once in a while that it doesn't happen as much in historic where it does in modern where you have these various powerful effects where like bajukabog is a good example like my opponent might have it in their deck like if they're playing amulet titan or something like that but like sometimes they can just tutor it up at instant speed and just like wreck me with it so yeah, yeah it's a weird dance because like you also have to like play because when Hogak, oh man, they're really getting really down this rabbit hole right now. But, uh, it was like when Hogak was in modern, you would board in the green force of what was it, force of nature? For, no, that, 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 that's an 8 8. No, what's the, <laughs> what was the green card? You could pitch two green cards to exile two enchantments. Force of force, vigor? Force of force, vigor. Force of Vigor, okay. You would board in Force of Vigor in the Hogak Mirror just in case your opponent had Leyline. But the problem was if you had too many Force of Vigors in your opener, your hand didn't do anything. So it's like, back to, again, back to this weird dance you have to do where if your opponent's boarding in anti-graveyard hate or anti-hate hate, and then you just don't have the hate that they're looking for, you just like are on this huge advantage. It's just like, oh man, this this is why Magic's just such a great game. Wait, so, so correct me if I'm wrong, there's... there's hate cards there's anti-hate cards and then there's anti-hate hate cards yeah exactly yeah, you're, you're catching on brass good i'm writing i'm writing all of this down <laughs> this is important now. yeah you're catching on finally caroline you know we we kind of touched on the the goblins deck we touched on a lot of your of the godfro's gift deck last week but the cool thing about historic is that they th those appear to be probably the two most popular decks there's, there's of course sultan a few other things out there but what else is is there in the historic format and do you think is does any archetype get better in a closed deckless format versus an open deckless format what, what's your opinion on that i, I don't know so the, you didn't name jun food or jun sacrifice or racto sacrifice i don't know the mythic invitational has a lot of jun sacrifice decks that weren't expected i think that the archetypes that get better this is mostly eric's point so it might not be fair to ask me, but I'll just steal it anyway. It's okay. Generally, in closed deck lists, the archetypes that improve are ones that your opponent needs to kind of know specifically what the threats are so they know how to manage their resources. Um, so aggressive decks can really capitalize that on. If you can just power through a bunch of, you know, uh, random creatures and, and get across the finish line before they realize, like, Oh no, I need my eliminate now, not my eliminate later. Or I, you know, oh no, I use my heartless axe. It's the only way to kill this creature. That that could have an advantage. I will say, historic has generally a pretty scripted um, what depth decks look like. Like a skilled soul type player will still know that they have to, you know, hold their heartless axe for the tour brand because they their eliminates won't kill that one. So it's not, you know, it's not perfect, but it does, you know, it does mean that the soul type players can't just 
look at your list and be like, well, this is exactly what I need to save this card for. Um, I, I do think, I know we talked a lot about the ley lines and to bring them in or not to bring them in, etc. I think that decks that have cards that are hate, good against them, like hate, hate cards against them, so, you know, decks that are, are good to bring Leyline in against. That was a clear way to say that. So the God Pharaoh's deck, in open deck list, it makes sense to bring, to have some sort of removal for that hate card. So currently the God Pharaoh decks are either splashing green for Rex Age or the less great option of having Farika's Libation in their sideboard. Um, and that, that will work for the open deck list, but uh, it will not work for the closed deck list. So instead you have to do something that's more powerful that doesn't get affected by the hate cards. So if people are bringing in Leyline, uh, Black Leyline against you, then you need to bring in Bolas' Citadel and try and kill him that way instead. That just won't work. It, it won't be as powerful, I think, in open deck lists. Uh, it's still a strategy to do, I think. That makes sense, but in closed decklist, I think it's almost a requirement. Like, I will not have Frigo's Libation in my sideboard in the closed <laughs> decklist. And, and I imagine what will happen is the reason I wanted to talk about it tonight was because I think Magic players in general, I, I have recently been accused of this, so it's not anything terrible, um, but we love copying decklists. Like, generally. Are you saying you're a dirty copy paster? What? Yes. Oh, oh my. Pride. I ordered t shirts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. So, uh, net, net deckers, where? <laughs> Who left them in here? Them in here? <laughs> I I know it's it's obviously like a big meme in the magic community. Like you know, you net deck. That's insane. We all we all do it. Like at some point, someone takes a list and says, "I'm I have not played any games with this list. I'm going to take this list. I'll change four cards because obviously I know better than the person that did well with it." And then I'll do well with it. And then someone will take my list and say, well, that's ridiculous. Obviously, you should have these cards in the deck. And that just happens. That's just how magic is. It's whatever. In this digital age, it's just what's happening. My favorite is, um, the, is the meme of the of the guy with his hand out, like looking at the butterfly. It's always, is this this thing? And it always just kind of looks at that. And you see the butterfly. And it says, net deck that I changed three cards out of. And the guy just goes, am I a deck brewer now? <laughs> I added the fourth Phyrexian Tower to the God Pharaoh's deck based on just the fact the card is awesome, um, and Matt said too. And obviously the deck is great, and any decks that have come out since then have four, but they didn't before. It's like, ah, I did it. <laughs> I broke a wide open. I added four busted cards instead of three busted cards. Um, anyway, but, but, but actually, like in general, the way magic goes right now is that people find a deck list. Um, if they... You know, if you're able to and you take the time, you're like, okay, well, the meta has shifted since this person 5 would or since they, you know, did this event, what should I change to, to adjust for that? So what I'm warning everybody to do is you're going to see a ton of lists because all the tournaments you see lists from are going to be from open deckless tournaments. So when you play your historic um, Zendikar Rising Qualifier Weekend, blah, 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 September thing on the weekend, please, please, please take the time to think, hold up. I'm playing in a closed deckless tournament. Can I do some zigging and zagging? Or will I my, my opponents be zigging and zagging? Do I understand why this card is in my sideboard? I will just say as like a random caveat is you should always ask that. Like you should always ask, do I understand why this card is in my sideboard? Because the answer might not always be yes. <laughs> um, so that's actually just a good warning. But in general this week, please take the time to think who, who made this deckless and for what thing. So don't take a, a, 
like it might work out, but don't aim to take a mythic invitational decklist and just assume it will go well during your your MIQ event. Yeah, that's uh, as as probably the the as the most casual uh, player amongst the four of us. That's definitely something that I do. I'll take the list I'll put together and be like, oh man, I'm really enjoying this decklist, and someone will be like, oh cool, uh, why two copies of this in the sideboard? And I'll go, I, I don't know, because 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 they're because they're good. <laughs> The other day I did copy a decklist for like a Pioneer event and it had, in the main deck, it had two copies or one copies of the, um, I was going to call it the boat, but I actually don't know what it's really called. Skyship Sovereign? Skyship Sovereign, thank you. And then it had like two more on the sideboard and it's a Karn board, so it's just all wishboard things. And I was playing a couple of rounds and my friend was like, like why are you like is the boat really important to you like what's going on i was like i didn't even look at the list it's got so many boats i don't understand <laughs> <laughs> and i really think i should have asked myself why are there so many boats in my side title the title of this episode of the podcast why are there so many boats <laughs> yeah the uh, from in the boat example the reason i got played in standard correct me if i'm wrong eric but the vehicles deck had it in their sideboard because against control decks, it was a threat that had, like, pseudo-haste because you could, like, play a creature and then just crew the boat right away and then, like, take out a planeswalker, but three boats is a lot of boats. <laughs> boat also so, comes down and, and pings things, too. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, like, it killed stuff, too, but... Boat was just I, great. I just remember it definitely killed, like, my Jace Unravel or Secrets or whatever at the time we were playing, and that, and that was the reason they played it, and just... Uh, having a threat in play at all times um, was why they were playing it at the time. But I don't know why they're playing a Pioneer. No idea. Yeah, Conan Hawk, I think there's something to touch on. I mean, we could we could do an entire episode on sideboarding, how to build it, why you're bringing certain cards in, why you're bringing certain cards out, that kind of thing. But if you are, you know, say you're building for a closed list format uh, or even an open list format, what are the important things to think about as you build that sideboard, specifically when you're thinking about, okay, do I, is it about, putting in answers to your opponent's threats or is it putting in answers to uh, or counters per se to what your opponent's do going to do to take out your deck kind of so to speak like they're going to put stuff into hate on your deck is your sideboard supposed to meet that hate or you or are you sideboarding to disrupt what they want to do uh i think this gets into there's a classic magic article called who's the beatdown mm -hmm. And that article, if if you haven't read it, you should definitely you should definitely uh, read it and touch on it and stuff like that. Just like learn the lessons from it. If you are a deck that you think you are the control deck, then you are going to want to match your answers to the threats that are being presented. And if you think that you are not the control deck, then you need to be um, finding new ways to get around your opponent's answers. And like find ways to get in in essentially the, the the damage that you want, right? So for like the using the the vehicles type of thing, if your opponent is going to board in a bunch of Wrath of Gods because you have a mostly creature deck, if you can board in things like a vehicle, right? They they have like 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 Sean was saying they have pseudo haste because they they can get crewed by a creature that just came into play. Um, that's like a nice way to do it. Or like um, using a more recent one like Gideon Blackblade, right? Your opponent kills all of your small white creatures, and you can still attack them with this planeswalker because that doesn't die to shatter the sky. So I think that's like one of the really big things about it. And then so also like using like an example from Historic, if if your opponent does have something really good against your your strategy, uh, you also want to have an answer for that. So for instance, your like my goblins deck 
wants to have a way to kill Grafdigger's cage because Grafdigger's cage stops Muxus and also stops uh, conspic er, conspicuous Snoop, right? Is it conspicuous so, like, you... or conspicuous? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's up for debate. <laughs> Is it Canyon uh... Sloof or? <laughs> but you do want to have like answers for like these like big like big stopping cards. But overall, like I wouldn't want to board in a braid uh, against like a, a blue white control deck, for instance, because you know, like I'm not going to deal three damage to a creature, right? Like I'm just going to use it as shatter, which I don't really unless unless shatter is going to you know change the game by a lot, which in the case of Graph Digger's case it kind of does. Um, then I won't want something like that. So I think it really depends on are you a combo deck? If so, which is kind of the goblins thing, right? They're going to board in a thing that stops your combo. Are you the control deck? If so, you need to figure out ways to stop their threat so you don't die. Or are you the aggro deck? And if you are the aggro deck, find ways to answer what, like, basically pose different questions than what the control deck is answering. I know that's a very simplified way of doing it, but that is that is the easiest way to, like, kind of boil it down. A more uh, complex answer would be basically, like, basically the way that I approach sideboarding is always just have a game plan, and if, if everything goes towards that game plan, that's how you're supposed to sideboard. But, it, like, I think that's more... It's going to be too in-depth for, I guess, one episode, for this yeah. episode. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, well, yeah, we're... Everyone, hunkered down, we're going to be here for another two hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean... Unsuspected death. That's a really good, like, quick synopsis. Um, I mean, like you said, this, this is getting pretty far down the rabbit hole again, but, I mean, <laughs> one last thing to touch on is... If you're the goblin deck and you know you need to be Grafdigger's Cage, great, kill it. But don't over-sideboard. Over-sideboarding is just as bad as under-sideboarding. I've lost a lot of games in my Magic career by siding in too many counter spells against, you know, certain decks. And then they play an uncounterable threat that I boarded on my Wrath of God for that I can't kill now. You know, so, like, just don't over-sideboard either. Like, you need to have a game plan siding in more than... Four or five cards might be too much. You just need to take stock of the situation and, like, you know, in your aggro deck, keep it like one thing I, I play mono green in historic. I can't board out all my two drops because then I don't have any two drops in my deck, you know? Like, yeah. you need to keep curve considerations in play. And, you know, like, when am I actually going to cast this? Like, I don't want to play Grafdigger's Cage on turn one if I have to skip playing my one drop, right? So, like, you also have to keep that kind of stuff in play. Like, when are you actually going to play this Grafdigger's Cage? Am I even going to have time to cast this Grafdigger's Cage? Like, yeah. a lot of things come into play when you start looking at sideboarding too many cards in, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You make a great point on that is the fact that I, I experienced that just playing on ladder this past week of uh, going up against a green deck with a, a control deck. Obviously, it had blue, and I'm like, okay, well, I could I could bring in some counter spells for some of these things. I'm going to counter some creature spells. I'm going to counter these things. Throw them in there. It's like, great, awesome. Let's see you meet up with this. All of a sudden, we get to it. Turn three, four. You know, they've ramped. Turn three comes around. Hey, shifting ceratops. And me going, well, damn it. <laughs> hey, that's oh. illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I do want, like want to touch on Sean's point a little bit too. I've watched a lot of historic over the over the course of like the last week, and I've definitely seen people. You know, they go to their sideboard and I'm like, what are you doing? Stop it. I know that all these cards look good. And then they cast their Muxus and they like get one goblin. They're like, I'm so unlucky. And I'm like, you put in 10 spells like and took out yeah. 10 goblins. Like that's that's going to have an effect. 
my collected <laughs> company whiffed. I only boarded in nine removal spells once wrong <laughs> yeah. in my deck. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, oversideboarding, definitely the death knell for a lot of players, even people who've been playing Magic as long as we have. So. I'm looking at some of the metagame pieces and looking at kind of how, how things went in a lot of the competitive events over the past week or so. And, you know, some things that stand out to me is uh, there's always a couple of those outlier decks, the ones that you know, maybe didn't have as many matches as a lot of the top decks did, but have like some really good win rates with it. Uh, so you can see stuff like, you know, I, I'm looking at the list. I see, okay, I see Rakdos Goblins as opposed to some of the other Goblins did well. Okay, you can probably call that Mono Red Goblins with a couple of black cards. But you can see also things like Esper Doom with Yorion. Only had like 49, only had 48 <laughs> matches, but it had a 64% win rate. And so you see something like that, or you see some other like side, you know, and that's just not my Esperness cogging. You know, there's other decks in there. Mono Blue Tempo is another is another example of a deck that didn't have as many games, but had a really good win rate. Uh, when you see like outlier decks, if you're analyzing the meta and you look at decks like that, um, is it a trap to look at, at decks with low representation, high win rate? Uh, or you can talk to, you know, anyone can really jump in on it. What is it like to, to look at a deck that is low representation, high win rate and say, ooh, this is something I want to jump in and check out? Or is it is it just a complete trap? Stay away from that stuff. And really that's for that's for other types of players and other types of pilots. Is this where we call in Mike Brilva? <laughs> That's oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, just a, just a good job, Adam. It's funny that you touched on Esper Yorion. His exact reasoning for playing the Esper Yorion deck is a very good way to look at Magic, I think. He literally looked at the metagame data and was like, what's a deck that isn't getting played a lot but has a good win rate? He's like, Esper Yorion. So he played it on Saturday and did not have a good – or played on Monday and did not have a good day. But um, it's a good way to look at – magic in general i think but i mean the numbers really don't lie but they don't tell the whole story either that esper yorian player might have played against gruel aggro five of six times and that's why the win rate was so high and they just dot you know they won the matchup lottery that happens a lot in these weird formats like historic and modern where like i could play a 15 round tournament and never play against burn and my deck that's awful against burn does really well but i play the next tournament i play burn three times and i'm oh three so like that's a big part. You have to take everything with a grain of salt. So, like, this Esper Yorion deck looks great on paper. I'm a huge fan of it, but I'm scared to register because I know that, like, there's some. it's not telling the whole story either. I don't know. Well, I'm looking forward to the story that will be written uh, later on this weekend, whether that's going to be uh, watching Conan Hawk and the Mythic Invitational or seeing... Uh, how everybody does this weekend at the Zendikar Rising events as well, and a lot of the, the closed deck lists going on on that side of things. So, it, I mean, real quick, going around, Eric, we know what, y'all, what you're going to be playing. You're going to be on Goblins. Uh, what about what about my other two co, co-casters uh, as they do events this weekend? What are, you, what are y'all going to be on? I am leaning towards Mono Green for what we touched on earlier. I think it's a very good closed deck list format. Um, that's where, like, this kind of deck shines. A lot of good creatures, aggressive. If the soul tie decks the goblins decks they stumble even a little bit you punish them with a five four to the face so leaning towards mono green aggro i'm gonna play it the next couple days see how it goes see how it feels on the ladder but if things stay the course i'm playing mono green if things get crazy and probably playing bands ramp on saturday so hope it doesn't come to that but right now i'm planning on playing turn two steely champion nice caroline what about you uh, I'm gonna be playing Mono Black God Pharaoh's Gift. What is that? Is that new? Have you played that before? Is that? Uh... Nah, I assume I'll figure it out on the fly. <laughs> yeah, good, good <laughs> Have you figured out what's in the sideboard yet and why? 
As we talked no about, idea. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a thing. You could always keep, of course, uh, keep in touch with us on our Twitter account at uh, at Swigoy Gaming, where you can find out, uh, basically just get updates about how everybody's doing this weekend. I know everybody uh, is going to be competing. We'll have 11 people competing in some way, shape, or form this weekend, which is going to be super awesome. So I know I'm going to be keeping an eye on things, but uh, I'm also probably going to be learning from my teammates as they compete about how to play a lot of these decks and how to... Uh, how to how to navigate the competitive formats as we do now in the world of Magic Arena. And as I do that, I will learn more about how to get better at the game. So as we close out this episode of the podcast, that's what I want to know is what are you doing to get better at the game this week and where can we find you doing it? Caroline, let's start with you. Uh, so this week I will be playing in the Qualifier Weekend. Um, I also am going to be casting a Legacy event on Sunday uh, by Nerd Rage Gaming, um, which I'm really excited about. I think I'm doing the first couple rounds of that tournament, so... I think that'll be really fun, and y'all should stop by and say hi in chat. You can find me on Twitter at Mighty Linguini. You can find me on Instagram at The Mighty Linguini, and you can find me on twitch.tv slash The Mighty Linguini. I always stream on Wednesdays, not this week, but I, I always have a bad guest, and we will... Uh, wait, and, oh no, I messed it up. <laughs> we don't I always, always play have magic. a magic guest, but we don't always play magic. I thought someone changed your script. That, that's, I just thought about that. Thought I saw Conan Hawk lean forward real quick as she was talking. I was like, oh, is he doing it? No, 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 not at all. Sean, how about you? What are you going to be up to? What are you going to be doing to get better at the game this week? And where can people find you doing it? Yeah, I mean, starting tomorrow, I'll be grinding as much magic as possible for this weekend. I really... Every everyone wakes up Saturday morning like putting on their you know their magic plaid shorts to like get up and go to the Grand Prix and do really well. So obviously I'm hoping to do really well on Saturday, but I'm gonna putting a lot of effort in to do well on Saturday. So hoping to do well, gonna get as much practice in as I can. You know, get my good night of sleep and eat my Reese's puffs before the tournament on Saturday. So I'm gonna be doing that. You can uh, <clears throat> tweet at me at Mr. Toolshed and Twitch.tv/MrToolshed. Uh, come say hi. You know, send me your sweet Azorius list that I'll probably change four cards and call it my own. So, um, yeah, definitely check in on us on Saturday. See how we're doing. Hopefully, we're all playing on Sunday. Awesome. And Conan Hawk, how about you? Uh, yeah, you can normally find me on Twitch Monday through Friday on twitch.tv slash Conan Hawk. Uh, but basically, I'm taking this week off to play or to play in the Mythic Invitational. So hopefully, you can find me on the Magic stream. Um, and then if you want to follow along and hear how I'm doing, I'll be posting updates on Twitter uh, to at Conan Hawk. And uh, every once in a while, I post some cat photos. So you can give me a follow on Instagram at Conan Hawk as well. Absolutely. Of course, you can follow us at Swagoy Gaming, S-W-A-G-O-I Gaming on Twitter. You can always visit our website, swagoy.com, to learn more about uh, the awesome team members that we have for the different competitive events, whether it be Hearthstone, Magic the Gathering, or Valorant. And uh, you can click on the Magic team and learn all about some of the 11 people that are going to be competing this weekend in events all around the world of magic and of course if you want to find out anything that i'm doing you can find out so at twitter and twitch at brasky 1142 and i see as mr sean has brought in his cat into the podcast that means it's time to wrap things up so we hope that you all have a snuggly rest of your week see you later everybody bye 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 just, just drag it out